few notes before we get into today's podcast. We're still doing the giveaway, so if you want to try to win a GoPro 9, a GoPro Chesty, and a GoPro Shorty all in one little bundle, there's an opportunity to do it. Just follow the link at the end of the show notes for this podcast, and it'll take you to the Precision Camera website. You could also do a search. Just do Wild and Exposed GoPro Bundle Giveaway. It'll take you to that link. Basically, you just have to follow us on Instagram, both Precision Camera and Wild and Exposed. And then you also have to sign up for a newsletter or just fill in the blank with your email address so that we can keep you updated with things that we have going on. And you're entered. So then you could possibly win this $497 bundle and win it for free. We're giving away one. If you don't win, we also have that same bundle and they're doing a promotion on it at Precision Camera. You can go to the Precision Camera website, type in Wild and Exposed GoPro Adventure Bundle, and it'll take you to an item in their store where you can buy this GoPro Chesty, GoPro Shorty, and the GoPro 9. It basically retails for $479.97, but if you use the code that I'm going to give you, you will get $140 off. Use the code WEGOPRO. doesn't matter if it's all caps, all lowercase, WEGOPRO. Put that in and you will get $140 off at checkout. Lastly, the It Depends t-shirts, they're proving to be pretty popular. So if you want to represent Wild and Exposed, and if you feel like we do and every question is answered with It Depends, it might be kind of a fun t-shirt to represent with. All you have to do is go to the shop link on the Wild and Exposed website. It's the first product that shows up. We got a long sleeve shirt and a short sleeve shirt, and it's just something that helps us out. We don't make a lot of money on these t-shirts, but it does help. It helps pay for some of the web space and just some of the other costs that we have. That's it for now. On to the show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed Podcast. We've got a, a catch-up episode. Myself, Ron Hayes in Wyoming, Jason Loftus coming to us from Utah, and Mark Raycroft coming to us from the coziness of Canada. It is cozy. It's warm this summer. I know. Very nice. Been beautiful lately. We had a drought at the beginning of summer and lots of rain and humidity now, but it's going to break in two days when I'll be in the middle of the wilderness, hopefully in cooler temperatures. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see you guys. Been too long. So I know everybody's been in the field a little bit or is heading to the field. Jason, we're, you've had quite the trip that didn't turn out quite like you were hoping it would, I think. So tell us about your Alaska trip. Yeah. Um, so it started last year. I was supposed to go up to Alaska to photograph bears for the first time. That's been a bucket list trip for me that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And it got canceled because of COVID, like a lot of things did. So I rescheduled for this year and was really looking forward to getting up there and, uh, you know, getting engaged with the bears. Um, we, we felt like we had planned a good trip. Uh, we scheduled seven days in Kodiak, and we're planning on trying to do three or four day trips over to Katmai from Kodiak. And um, we're going to spend our other time, you know, just there locally chasing any local bears and photographing other stuff that's there in Kodiak to photograph and take advantage of. So we left on a Friday night um, with some delays, got into Kodiak late Saturday, and on we we were supposed to go out on Sunday and Monday, but we never we weren't able to get out because of uh, weather issues, and that's one reason why I guess when we talk about this more, um, kind of a pro tip I guess whatever you want to call it, but I would definitely give yourself some time um, in your trip whatever you decide to do um, for weather because you may or may not be able to go out on the day that you had scheduled due to weather, so. With us giving ourselves seven days, I felt like that gave us a good, you know, buffer for weather days and such. Um, anyways, the first two days we weren't able to get out. We finally got out on Tuesday and went over to um, Hallow Bay 
and spent a great day over there with the bears. About halfway through the day, I started to not feel that great. Um, I got real achy and just felt like I was getting dehydrated and couldn't quench my thirst and uh, got very um, labored, if you will, felt very tired. So I knew something wasn't right, but I felt like maybe I was just dehydrated. And when the float plane came back in, they had some water and some food for us. Um, we were there all day. So got on the plane, guzzled some water, ate some food, felt better. Um, the next morning, woke up and went to the float plane and was not not feeling good again. And it just felt different. Something wasn't right. So long story short, I told uh, the Scott, the um, Scott Stone, who was our guide, that I was going to stay back and they could go do their bear trip and I was going to go get checked. And, and long story short, again, <laughs> I went and got checked and within 20 minutes found out that I was positive for COVID. And that meant that I had to figure out a way to quarantine for 10 days there in Kodiak um, because I could not get on an airplane for 10 days until 10 days after I had tested positive. So um, fortunately, Scott was nice enough to let me stay with him. Um, he had just gotten COVID earlier a couple months prior and felt comfortable that, you know, with me quarantining there, he would not be at risk. And um, he did everything in his power to <laughs> to make me feel comfortable. But it ended up being a pretty miserable trip. Um, I got pretty sick there for a few days and, uh, you know, was not able to get on an airplane and come home and be taken care of that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the world that we live in right now. Right. Um, and I did not honestly think much about that risk going up there and potentially getting COVID and having to quarantine and being away from home. Um, but that's exactly what happened. Um, ended up being in Kodiak until the 16th of um, August. I went over there on July 30th. So I was in there. I was over there for about 17 days. Was only supposed to be over there for six days, seven days. Um, but made it home safe and sound. It could have been a lot worse. Um, again, I can't thank Scott Stone enough um, for his hospitality and his willingness to let me uh, quarantine there with him instead of having to be in a hotel potentially and not being able to get out and be able to get access to food and other things that, that I may have needed. Um, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I still haven't really experienced the bears like I'd like to, right? Um, I'm going to have to figure out a way to make that happen again here in the near future sometime. But uh, again, feel grateful, you know, perspectives, everything when we come across these things, I think, and it's crazy how much you take for granted. And it really makes you, when you have time to just lay there and sleep and be sick and, you know, try to recover and you start thinking a lot about your health and, you know, all your family when you're away from them and all the things you just kind of take for granted in general. And it's, you know, I was thinking a lot about that. And it's kind of too bad that it takes some, those kind of things sometimes to put things in perspective for us sometimes. But, but yeah, no, I feel very grateful to be home. I feel very grateful to be on the mend. I'm pretty much back to, I'd say I'm 85, 90% at this point. Um, still finding a little bit of fatigue, but otherwise, no worse for the wear. So. Man, that's a lot more interesting than my weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't know how interesting it was. It was, uh, yeah, it wasn't very interesting. The bedroom I was in did not have a, a window. Um, and uh, there was not a lot of light to be had, sunshine. Honestly, didn't know what time of day it was most of the time. A lot of that center, that was five, six days. I got pretty sick. I was, uh, it was kind of a blur. So I honestly don't remember much to to speak of but anyways yeah i i like i said i'm just glad to be home and glad to have my health and uh i'm glad to see you guys it's good it's good to be seen like my dad jokes maybe it's kind of a morbid joke but he says it's always better to be seen than viewed so <laughs> well that's true and this thing is so different for everybody it really is and it and it's scary i mean it really is it's real too you know, I know some people that may not think this thing is, you know, there's some political things and a lot of feelings behind this, which I don't want to get into overall. But I will tell you that this is real and that people, if, the, if they're having concerns about it, you know, the concerns are valid. Um, I did get pretty sick. So um, just, you know, take that into consideration for, for what it's worth. But 
Well, we're so glad you're all right. It was a shock when we got the text because you had just arrived. And on a previous podcast, we covered it. And we are all so excited for you because this is your first time experiencing this. And, of course, we've all had such limited travel for so long as out of out of state, out of province kind of thing. So for you to get up there, it was just couldn't wait for more. You'd send a couple of video clips to tease us to get it rolling those first two days. So when that news came across, it was like it was a shock and, and very concerned for you and, and glad you're okay. But also the the effect of having to postpone everything and change everything and quarantine like that. You know, it's a real downer and, and I'm sure affected a lot of your life. But I you know, it's a relief that you're here smiling at us tonight and and feeling eighty, ninety, ninety percent. That's great. Right. Right. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And I and I appreciate all of you. Mark, uh, Mike's not on tonight, but, you know, all of you reached out and, you know, touched base with me and checked in on me. And Mike, probably more than others, just because he's there in Anchorage and not too far away and was uh, very supportive and very, uh, uh, you know, helpful for, to kind of keep me sane and checking in on me, make sure I was OK. So, yeah, no, I appreciate you guys a lot. I really do. Honestly, my first thought was. That's not even funny, Jason. I thought you were kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I I texted you and realized that now it was for real. Yeah. So I'm glad you're back. Like Mark said, glad to see you. Glad to have you on tonight. You're able to be on tonight. Yep. Yeah. Now it's almost fall. Well, it is fall as far as I'm concerned. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's getting close. I've seen some cottonwood leaves changing anyway. Yeah. With these cool mornings. Mark, how about you? Oh, I don't know. I'm still reeling from Jason's story. Um, <laughs> but just you you did have some success with the bears before, right? You had the one day. Is that? Yeah. So so we did find a couple of local bears there, um, smaller um, Kodiak bears. And for folks that know, right, Kodiak bears are known for being some of the biggest bears on, in the world. Um, but these were younger bears that we that we actually saw and photographed. Um, so it was cool to have that first experience and actually get to photograph a Kodiak bear. Um, and then we did have the one day at Hallow Bay. Uh, the hard part was we had a great morning with a sow and her four cubs and a couple other sows. And um, we ended up photographing a pretty nice boar later that day. But... I started feeling pretty sick about halfway through the day. Um, and, and it's really hard to explain, but it just really put a damper on the whole thing. I just, it was enough of a situation where I just did not feel like being there. And it, that's how, I, that's the only way I can explain it. Even though there was bears and I was still photographing, I just wasn't having fun. And I definitely wasn't in the moment and enjoying it like I should have been. You know what I mean? So, so I feel like I got about a half a day worth of, um, pretty cool experiences and bear viewing. And then it just, you know, it went downhill from there. So, so hopefully next year, is that the plan? That's what I'm thinking. I mean, there's other options in that, you know, like I said, um, there's the camping option. Um, there's the boat option, which was just talked about in a recent podcast, Mike and Drew, um, had a lot of discussion about that. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to approach the bear viewing, which has all been covered many, many times. But I just need to decide now how how do I want to do it? You know, um, I feel like at this point I could maybe even just get up to Anchorage and um, even if I could go up there for moose at some point or something like velvet moose next summer or something and jump over to Kodiak for two or three days to try to get a couple of cat my days in or something. You know, I think it's very doable um, to, to make it happen at some point. So I'm not too upset. I'm like, again, I perspectives, everything, and I'm just happy to be okay and healthy. Mm -hmm. So totally. It's enough about me. <laughs> no, because it was such, it was such an exciting adventure for you to be on and in such an emotional swing and, and a physical challenge to go through what you did. And I, I you summarized it wonderfully in, 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 as far as you had the good fortune of regaining your health on your own, but also the perspective, as you point out, that it gives you and the gratitude for other things. I mean, when we do get really sick, and I know this podcast isn't about illness or health, but, you know, there have been times when I've been knocked off my feet. It's like, wow, you know, I, I don't, as much as I'm not taking every day for granted necessarily, but taking one's health for granted is so easy to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Ongoing. We think mm -hmm. we can just keep moving and doing our, doing whatever we're, we're 
believe we're capable of. So it does put put that in in uh, in limelight for us. But here it's it's yeah it's I there I feel like it's been such a challenging and fun year for marketing that I'm processing seven thoughts at once in my mind and it's just been too much going on but it's been good as well as challenging so I haven't been traveling yet as much as I would like to have been it it just hasn't lined up so I've just been working in Ontario and around here in day trips or multi-day trips in the area for wildlife and nature stuff and leaving on one tomorrow a lot of packing to do another we've talked about it before but this will be my first embarrassed embarrassed to say it's end of summer like next week this is bad pathetic um but my first big interior trip into algonquin for the year and it'll be a good kickstart to get things going transitioning to to autumn trips that are coming up but it'll be fun to get in with hearing the loons and the stars and and apparently the route we're going has we're passing two of the biggest waterfalls in the park so that'll be fun to see and document and film some of that and i'm taking my my cousin joshua who i'm very close to but because life is busy haven't had a lot of time with and really no one-on-one time so he's sharing my canoe with me so i'm really looking forward to that that bonding and, and catching up he's got two young children he's got a busy life so it'll be nice to unplug with somebody that i care about so much for those days as well and then my good buddy bill and his his teenage son aiden are, are of course coming along so charging up all the action cameras and phones and getting all that going i i am borderline i'm I'm just saying this but borderline depressed on how slow the gear is being delivered when you order it these days due to the delays and hang-ups i you know i ordered my new setup at the end of june and i still don't have it i mean it's all there except the lens i was told it should be there in the next, well, yesterday or today, but it was still crickets on my phone. I haven't heard anything yet, it's, but I, mean, I can't wait to try that. 100 to 500 that you're waiting on? That setup, yeah. Yeah, there's a few things percolating. I, I And I'm also, um, yeah, so it's the R5 with the 1 to 500 kit that I'm really looking to pl- forward to playing with this fall, but I'm on the cusp of starting to travel. I want, you know, how important it is that these are our tools, right? You don't just get a new tool and... I don't know, rely on it 100% the next day at work, you have to learn how to use it. So I I need some time with this. And I'm, you know, really hoping to have the opportunity with my good buddy, Jason, who has dialed in his R5, instead of taking it out of the box and running out into the wilderness with it and blasting away for pictures or video. So I'm hoping that time will permit those kinds of learning curves to take place before I mean, you just don't want to miss anything, right? You, if you go into the into the wilderness on a two-week trip and so much is going on, but the behavior you witness might only happen once in that light, in that frosty or foggy morning, something magical. The, you've got to know your gear. So I'm getting a little bit antsy on that, but hopefully it'll get here. But I'm, what I'm thinking now is I'm going to have to take the, the Nikon setup and that, and hopefully I'm more comfortable with the R5 by then that I the Nikon will just serve as the backup for these upcoming trips that I look forward to sharing content on. And the other thing it won't. Is, what? It won't. It if won't. You, what? If you still have yeah. it with you, I guarantee you're going to go to it. That's what I did. Back I to the Nikon. To, yeah, I had to sell uh, it to, uh, to get uh, myself to stay on the r5 yeah well you know you know what that's a good point though i i had to do the same thing mark in on my bear trip um i didn't get to use it as much right but i still because i didn't have my 600 canon yet i had to take my nikon 850 and the 500 and the r5 and the one to five and uh yeah it was interesting i did end up shooting both that day but um yeah, to your point. I mean, it's hard, and Ron's not wrong. I think I shot more of the Nikon than I did the R5 in that situation, just because of the circumstances we down. were shooting in. Yeah, it really is. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the same line. I've got to get mine sold because now, and, and I did just get my 600. I got it when I got back. So 
Um, I'm happy to have mine, but I'm not trying to rub it in your face, Mark. But <laughs> So not to cross a line for all the Canon lovers out there, which I'm hoping soon to be, you know, again, it's tools of the trade. I'm going with what I deem to be the best. But why on earth, gentlemen, are you, if you've got this R5, are you shooting the 850 if you're schooled on how to shoot the R5? What's happening here? Well, it was just hard to put down because it, you know, well, you're used you're the to one it. that turned you me on to that camera. The image quality is hard to beat. Oh, hold on a moment now. So you're telling me you've got the 45 megapixels on both cameras. You're telling me that, and I, I know you've said there's a, I'm hoping it's a super small difference in dynamic range. But other than that. Not necessarily dynamic range, but color, color range. Why am There's I getting an R5 if, if you guys are saying it's not as not as good? Listen, right. listen, 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 listen. All Sorry. Right. Throw it out there. No, yeah. bring it. The only reason I took my 850 is because I did. I really like shooting with the Prime as we've had this conversation. Um, I have no problem at all with shooting my R5 and my 1-500. to It is my go-to setup now. But when I want to shoot with a Prime, that I, I didn't have another option. So for me, it was really just that simple. Um, now that I have the, my R, my 600 RF, um, I've got to consider what my secondary body is going to be. Yeah, and, one. and that's, well, yeah, that's in time. Can I wait that long? Right. And so yeah. I might end up getting me another R5 for the short, for the short term. But anyways, that's the only reason why I'm, I have 100% sold and bought into the R5 setup and it is good enough a hundred percent to, to make the shift in my opinion. Um, but there are some small differences. Ron's not wrong. I mean, I still will say, as far as a picture quality sensor, I really still, and I don't know, I can't compare it to the A1, but I believe other than that, potentially even including that, that this 850 sensor is still the best photography sensor on the market. And and I just don't, I don't know, have, I don't have any experience with the A1 to be able to say it otherwise, but... That's just my opinion, but and it's and there's small differences, right? Like Ron said, color range and some things like that. But you'll be totally happy with it. I mean, I haven't had any problems. I haven't had any problems. You do want to get it in your hands a little bit though, because it is a little bit different to run, and then customize the settings to the way you like them, um, which you can do with every button on that camera. You can customize its function, so you can set it up basically to mimic exactly the way you had your D850 set up. Uh, the one thing that I would say, the other thing besides the color is I've had some issues with chromatic aberration. So especially where you've got a flat sky or a harsher sky, and then you've got a horizon line, there's significant chromatic aberration on that, right on that line. You'll have a, a purple line that runs through it on occasion. And it's not every shot, but I've I've seen it a lot lately. All right. Okay, and the last question I have on on the stress of Nikon and Canon switcheroo, do you find with the difference in color on the Canon sensors that you actually spend more time in post color correcting to get it to where you want versus the Nikon? Would sometimes, yeah, I would agree with Ron. Sometimes, but for me, it's more like it took me a couple months to get used to the difference, and then kind of when I figured it out, for the most part, I felt pretty confident with you know. Um, my editing was pretty close to what it was before, but I still, there are, there are times when I struggle with some of the color, the way the sensor reads the color and what I'm trying to get from it. Right. Um, and I feel like it's more sensitive to nailing your exposure to get the colors. Um, when the Nikon was more forgiving that way for sure. So. Wow. So much to dive into on this stuff. I mean, the technology is amazing, but. I'll tell you what does it, what is totally different is that uh, C70. It's a cinema camera, but it's got the dual dual gain output on the sensor, the same as what the R3 will have, and I think it's going to make a huge difference with the R3. So basically, we we said one time that uh, Mark, you had mentioned the dual gain sensor because it was rumored to be on the R3, and didn't have a lot of information out of. 
but I think we called it something else and I didn't realize what we were talking about exactly. So that dual gain sensor, basically it shoots it two different ways. So it captures the detail in your highlights and it captures the detail in your shadows in the same shot. That's the dual gain. So you increase the dynamic range because it's capturing it two different ways. But the dual gain sensor is one that I, I think it will be a game changer for everyone as well at some point mm-hmm. in time. Well, doesn't the A1 have that? And the, I mean, the R3, so much about it is tempting, except they it's just a smaller sensor and isn't 8K, uh, can't produce 8K video. And it's, was it a 24 megapixel sensor somewhere like that? Isn't it mid twenties? Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought I heard. So I mean, I, I will I will never go back from a f- the forty some megapixel sensor because of the the crop capabilities. Yeah, my challenge with the R three is just the lower megapixels. I'm I've gotten so used to shooting higher megapixels that I think it would be a real be a real challenge for me to go that way personally. But quite honestly, I I shot with one uh, DX and it was only sixteen. I believe 16 or 20. Well, for years and years. Yep. Yeah. The D3, the D3S, and it's just so much D4. Which sharper. The, the 1D series has two processors in it and one is dedicated strictly to the focus system. So the speed and accuracy of the focus in that camera is so much more advanced than the 5D series that you could get away with enlarging even you know with a a lower resolution because it was just that much sharper i I would say probably similar mark i never shot with like a d4 or a d5 but i would say it's probably similar right no i i was the d i can't remember the d4s i think i had is that right d4 d4s there was yeah, it was the S. It went from the 3S to the 4S, I think. It was a great camera in so many ways, but the sensor, I prefer the sensor on the 850, hands down, um, personally. I mean, I haven't um, put them up and compared. I mean, I have enough files. It'd be easy to do, but I've never really zoomed into 100% with that in mind. But I, I find I get, even though it's a slower frame rate, I probably get more sharp images on the on the 850 than I did on those cameras. But Ron, you've been out recently, you said, and you had a trip. Yeah, with, I, so I got extended on that project that I did earlier in the summer, trying to get some different footage, and I don't think it's going to happen. It was kind of pipe dream type footage. Um, so I was out doing that, but then I Heath works at a mountain lodge down in Laramie, Wyoming. And it's a good area for moose. It's near Walden, Colorado. So you're in like the moose central, Shiras Moose Central for Wyoming, Colorado. And Heath works at this lodge, so he gets um, a discount on ATVs. So we were going to try to get to some country that nobody else gets to. And so we did that. Got out, had some fun on ATV. Um, We found a cow and calf and Heath got some incredible shots. The deal was if it was on his side of the car, he got to shoot. If it was on my side of the car, I got to shoot. And of course, everything was on his side of the car. So (laughs) he uh, got a spectacular like calf, almost looking like it's kissing mom. They both came up from feeding and they kind of nuzzled a little bit and then went, went back and started feeding again. But Heath, Definitely took advantage of that shot. It was the first time he's used the R5. And I said, you know, you should be able to nail exposure looking through the viewfinder. And he just looks back at me with this 21-year-old cocky look and says, you know, like this. He shows me this image and it was incredible. He did a good job. And then on the way, it kind of turned into... uh Instead of just a moose trip, we found a, a bobtail coyote, a cross between a bobcat and a coyote. I don't know if you guys have ever come across those. <laughs> he just froze his tail off about a third of the way down, and he was uh, hunting prairie dogs. So we did get some 
time with him. And then also some shorebirds that we don't typically get, like glossy ibis and uh, black neck stilt. So I did get some reflection shots with those guys and spent a little bit of time trying to get some bird images. But the moose was, we, we found one bull and then uh, that cow and calf, and that was it. But we had fun. It was great to spend time with him. He's been in Florida all summer. So to be able to go down and spend a little bit of time with him in the mountains. And, and we did get to explore a lot of where that big fire was last year. And just to see the little islands of life. He was, you know, asking questions about fire behavior and that kind of thing. And just to see that little island of flowers here and there smattered throughout the the burn. And then to see the areas that were coming back that, you know, had the good green grass already from that burn, but that there was a lot of completely scorched earth. It, it burned pretty hot through that whole, that whole fire. All that beetle kill. I, you know, it's, we talked about it last time we were in Alberta. There's a lot of beetle kill up there. And, and that's exactly what happened is that dry fuel just burned so hot that it was scorched earth instead of doing what, fire is supposed to do and regenerating yeah some crazy forest fires in in western canada this year and and there's and there's you know probably millions of acres that are beetle killed that it's just a matter of time unfortunately at some point something's got to ignite parts of that but hopefully it can be staggered right and certain areas burn in certain years rather than most of it in one go well, that it's, it's terrible. Colorado it's, it's fire, they kind of got lucky because the winds were high enough that that fire moved like 30 miles an hour. And so it didn't sit in one spot and just scorch everything. It, it did have a regenerative effect. There's a lot of grass coming back in those burns over there that where, it, where it moved quickly. So, but it was a great weekend. And then I am looking forward to getting out for some elk here soon yeah no i'm getting ready to go do a little bit of early season elk stuff here um this weekend this coming weekend and i'm looking forward to see how this whole covid thing has impacted me that way it'll be my first time getting you know back into the field and active that way um so we'll see how that goes i just plan on taking it real easy um hunter and mel my wife are going with me so it'll be more of a kind of a fun just hanging out with the family and hopefully getting a few photos here and there. So I, I enjoy those kind of trips. And then, you know, mid-September hits and I've got some significant time um, for elk. And then I'm actually going to get back up to Anchorage at the end of the month or early October to go try to chase some rutting moose around. So should be a pretty good fall for me. I'm looking forward to getting, you know, out there and getting back into the game, so to speak, especially with this new gear that I've got. Again, not trying to rub it in, Mark. <laughs> but and and as soon as that R5 arrives, you just holler and we'll we'll get her we'll get her set up so you can go get playing with it. And but yeah, no, it's it should be a really good fall. I'm looking forward to it. So so we had a question come in, Mark, on the Wild and Exposed Instagram page. And I thought it was a pretty good one. It's uh, something that we haven't really spent a lot of time on as far as private land. And let me just read it. So this is from David Leadingham. And David's question was, um, he was out exploring and down on what he thought was a public road. There weren't any signs that indicate no trespassing, indicate, sorry, no trespassing or private property, but he was approached by the owner and was informed that it was, in fact, private property. Uh, he said the guy was very friendly. They visited for a bit, showed him some of the pictures that he'd gotten. So part one, how do you know if property is private versus public? Is there a good resource or app? And yes, there is. We'll talk about that. And then uh, once you determine it is private, how do you find the owner, number one, and any tips on contacting them as far as getting access 
to photograph. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what the rules are in Canada and and in the U.S. It's state to state. Every everybody's a little bit different. One state, if it's not posted, then you can go. But Wyoming, it's up to the individual to know exactly where you're at. That is your responsibility. If you're on private land, you get a trespass ticket if you don't have permission. And so the app that I was going to talk about, what Jason, what you were shaking your head, what do you use? Um, I think I was just going to say, I think the rules, just for another example, I think the rules in Utah, or they used to be anyways, it's been a minute, but they are, you know, as long as it, if it's, if it's agricultural, there's no need to post it. But otherwise, you know, it's to be considered private. Otherwise, it has to be posted or, you know, or you're free to be to be there. Um, if it's private property, the owner can still come and, you know, tell you to leave. But um, to avoid those things, the app that I've been the most familiar with is like OnX. Um, there's also Go Hunt. You know, they're competitive with each other. Um, but a lot of hunters would use this same kind of app, you know, and hunting with a camera, hunting with a bow or gun, right? So, um, same concept. You need to know where you're at. You need to know the boundaries. You need to know where you're legally allowed to be and legally not allowed to be. And those apps work great for any of the above. Um, and they also give you, they actually answer the second part of the question too, right, Ron, where they give you the landowner information and the contact information. And, um, that's a very, um, actually a very cheap way to have all that data at your fingertips and there's no question. And, and here's where it, I'll give you an example where it comes into play, um, was actually using it to photograph a buck here in Utah and was told that I needed to leave an area because I was on private property. And I knew for a fact that I was not on private property because I had the app and the sheriff was called, um, sheriff showed up. I showed him, you know, where we were. Um, the sheriff said, thanks. Have a nice day. And I went on my business. So, you know, it can come into play that way, too, as far as sometimes people get a little, uh, I don't know what the right word is, greedy, over possessive, whatever, and try to, um, you know, post property that's actually not private. So it's good for that for that type of information, too. Mark, did they have that for Canada as well? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a little out of the loop here. I mean... I'm, I don't want to state the wrong information. I mean, we have a mixture of land here where it's, there's parks and there's lots of private land, of course, uh, through much of Canada and, and, but there's a lot of government land, which is called crown land or state land equivalent, I suspect, that people have right to use and can camp on and, and explore. There's a lot of that. It's, and it's readily available to find those maps. Um, the, the equivalent of the DNR, which is the Ministry of Natural Resources here, I think you can access them there, but there's likely uh, online resources as well. And then other places like Newfoundland's mostly um, accessible land. And so I've never heard of, again, I, I could be misspeaking here, but on all my trips there of private land, uh, people seem to be able to go and make use of the vast majority of the countryside there. Here, it's clear if it's posted, uh, private land that one wouldn't go on it. And I, I'd be happy to talk in length as far as, well, not too long, of course, but suggestions for approaching landowners. I mean, that's something that we've all had to do at times for various reasons. But I mean, it's, I think it's very smart to, if there's a lot of private land where you are thinking of photographing, to be aware of those boundaries and have the planning in place to talk to the landowners. Because I, I, I mean, obviously it's not a short, thing, but I, I'd be surprised if many landowners would have issue with photographers, you know, if it's one person and they're respectful and, and approach in a kind way and offer them if they get it, you know, offer them a print or something, there's always ways to give back. Right. And, and that forms a friendship, a relationship. And I mean, I've had many of those over the years with extensive tracts of private land where, um, there was some give and take, but became like family with some of these people. It, the relationship starts right there with, with that first smile and greeting and request. And 
And it doesn't hurt also, I suppose, if it's, if it's, if there's no word of mouth, nobody, you know, in common that can introduce you is to have some work with you, not just the camera, but some photographs to show on that first time you knock on their door, because then it gives some credibility uh, to what you do other than just having a camera in your hand or, you know, have the camera in your hand when you knock on the door, not just empty handed. Cause what are you really up to? Right. I mean, there's enough people have suspicion nowadays. So if you have your camera with a telephoto and looks serious, that's one thing that gets their attention. So there's that proof. And then I would show them some work if you have it as well and, and hope for the best. But, um, yeah, and it's Google Earth for for getting a perspective of of land that way too is is hard to beat. But I I, I haven't tried those apps, guys, so I, I'm not sure. But it sounds like a fantastic recommendation. Yeah, that Onyx is dead on. It's held up in court, and I believe every state. And uh, so if you, if it says you're good, then you're good. Um, the one thing that you have to watch out for is in Wyoming, they're notorious for doing land swaps. So if there's a piece of private, they can technically trade it for a piece of state land. There has to be a public comment period and that kind of thing. So if you're Onyx, if you're not using the app, if you're using the card that goes in your GPS and it's not updated, then you can miss some of that. And it, you know, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. The online one i believe that's on your phone they update that constantly it's like a 30-day turnaround from when the land swap is done to when it's updated on the app and so you're you're pretty good to go but i don't know if you have to have cell service to be able to access that if you're using the app so so if you've downloaded the most recent information you can use it offline um you just you know you you're not linked to anything direct obviously right but um, I do know that it's accurate enough, and even in those remote areas, if you do have it downloaded on your phone, um, that even like the DNR folks here in the States are using that as a tool for them to know if you're where you're supposed to be or not, too. So, yeah, it's a it's a really good tool. It really is. We've talked about it a little bit before, I think, but um, if you want to keep yourself clean and f- find and information about landowners very quickly um, and you know know where to go to contact them, and, and Mark, I think that's a great idea, the point you brought up about, you know, I know uh, a good friend of mine, Bill Allard, he uses that all the time. And he has gotten so much access to so many private property areas to photograph foxes and fox dens and all kinds of stuff that um, and he's got, like you said, he's built friendships with these people and has year after year access to these places now and almost exclusive because he's the one that approached them and has that relationship with them. And it may have, you know, he's offers them a print here and there. Like you mentioned, I think that's a great idea. Um, a lot of people really appreciate that, especially if they, you know, can get a photo of something that's on their property that for whatever reason, that's kind of neat for those people. Right. So I think that's another great tool. And I know people that use that very effectively. So. Yeah, it would mean it mean a lot to the landowner, right? Because they feel there's you know a lot of them feel I don't know if proud or protective, but these are animals that live on the land that they love as part of their family. So if, if there's a sixteen by twenty four canvas on the wall of the fox kid family, I mean they'll tell everybody about that story. It's a great you know relationship builder that way. It's genuine and and want, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of them surprisingly don't always know exactly what's on their property. So, you know, like you said, with the, if you can show them a Fox kit photo, they may never see it because they're busy doing other things, you know, on the property, taking care of their livestock or crops or whatever the case may be. And they don't see everything that goes on. And we have the luxury of sitting and watching and observing and it's fun to be able to take them some of those things. I did the same with calendars. Just go drop that. As soon as I got my calendars, I'd make a circuit and drop calendars off to everybody that had let me on. Uh, not just that year, but in previous years, because you want to maintain those relationships. And now that I'm not doing calendars anymore, <laughs> I've, you know, like shifted to prints. And the uh, that's what I was going to say. I just found... And this is 
total random, but it kind of ties into this because it's a cheap way to get somebody a really high quality looking image. It's called Fracture and they print the image directly on glass. So it's not acrylic, but it's printed on the glass and it looks really sharp. So in, col- in color cheap. and everything. Yeah. In color. So, oh, wow. Yep. I'll post a couple pictures of some images that I've had done through Fracture uh, in the show notes, but you can only get up to, I think it's 24 inches is the largest, but if you're giving something to a, giving a gift to a landowner, it's about a hundred dollars for a 24 inch print on glass, which is pretty reasonably priced for what you'd end up paying and potentially trespass fee kind of thing. Right. And not not a ticket, Mark. I see you laughing. No, I know. I, I know. I just it's like just the way you described. That's good. That's what Yeah, yeah, it's an access fee. I got it. I I know where your where your head was at. I was just uh, yeah. It's a positive it. access yeah, fee. Something <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um and and you're right. I mean, they. I've had situations where the landowners didn't know what certain things were there, but also uh, probably as much or more often, they have known things once they become friends. That say they will either say, "Hey, did you know this?" Once they know that you're legitimate and really what you're up to, and there's that level of trust, they'll say, "Well, you might want to check out this area because this is happening." Or the next spring, you get a phone call because they are out on their tractor, and there's a there's a fox den. You know that they're like, "Oh, you need to be here. This is happening." So there's all those benefits that come as well f- from them. You know, from just being out on their property, and um, yeah, I, I was uh, yes, I was. Yesterday, I was talking to a landowner and she was, and it just came out of the blue because she knows I photograph deer. And she says, well, I was, I was just leaving the driveway and there was this deer and his, his, it looked like he had a couch on his head. His antlers were so big, he couldn't get out of my way between the trees. And I'm like, oh, really? Wow. Sounds like an amazing animal to photograph. I mean, but she doesn't see him regularly. At this time of year, they're fairly predictable. So if they're appearing in a soybean field every evening kind of thing, you can, I don't know where he is. So I didn't, didn't investigate any further. Further, but you just never know what'll come up. I can't wait to see the couch buck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great question, David. Thank you very much for hitting us with that. We've got a busy time of the year coming up. We look forward to bringing you some content from the field. If you see us in the field, make sure you stop us, say hello, and uh, give us any feedback. Maybe we have a quick conversation and, and just get some shorts out there. No, it's fantastic. We the audience keeps growing. It seems like every month and more and more interactions and, and we are grateful and appreciate it. And the feedback is always welcomed. The questions like this one, keep them coming. We'll we'll address them as as readily as we can. And uh sorry, there was something else I was just what was I thinking a moment ago? Oh yeah, with Precision Camera, our sponsor. That shouldn't be far off my mind when doing a podcast. I think this will air in time. It's still going with this promotion that they have for a GoPro 9 camera and a kit with the Wild and Exposed kit. Now, it's, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. It's normally like 400 and something, but we get with the Wild and Exposed promotion. If you're interested in getting an action camera, a GoPro 9 with different mounts and setups, Precision Camera has an awesome bundle deal on right now where you save $140 by uh, at checkout. So you don't see this when you log on you can find the link through our website at wildandexposed.com you'll find it frequently on our instagram page you can also go to precision camera and you can find it there at precisioncamera.com in austin texas and but when you go to the initial page you see the the full price but when you go to check out you put in we gopro wild and exposed w-e-g-o-p-r-o all all capitals. I don't know if that's important, but that's how I put it up where we put it up on social media and it takes the $140 off. And I think it becomes a total of $339 for the bundle, which is one heck of a deal. And many, uh, it's cheaper than the camera is, right? So uh, we've had many uh, listeners already take advantage of this opportunity and post it on their Instagram stories and share that information. Thank you for doing that and supporting our sponsor and in turn supporting our podcast at Wild and Exposed. It is a great deal. So again, if you're interested in 
experimenting and having fun with an action camera. We've talked about it on various podcasts. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, and this is the ticket. Hey, yeah, real quick too, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because I just want to, you know, when I was preparing for my my uh, bear trip, I had a lot of interaction with Precision Camera with some lens rentals and some other things, and I I can't tell you guys how much the service was amazing. I was taken very good care of. Um, and with my COVID situation, as you can imagine, some of the dates and things were extended. There was a lot of understanding working with them. Um, and I just can't thank uh, Mike and the team at Precision Camera there enough for the support and the, you know, the, the customer service. So I think I just thank you for bringing that up, Mark. And I just wanted to take a chance to make sure I thank them publicly for for that support. So you guys can't go wrong. Um, anything you need there, uh, contact them, reach out to them. They'll take good care of you. So I second that. Well, it's, it's a great opportunity. And I, I, despite being part of this team, I don't know when the end date is for that, to be honest. So, you know, check it out. And also our YouTube channel continues to evolve. You can see the majority of our podcasts, including this great number tonight on YouTube. Usually we put them up on Fridays. The audio podcasts go up on Tuesdays. Please check those out and tell people about it. Subscribe, follow along. All those numbers help us to gain traction in this busy world of production, of podcasting, and sharing our wildlife and nature adventures with you. We all, all four of us, have great trips coming up that will hopefully be very fruitful this fall with lots of stories to share that we can hopefully take along and develop more tips and experiences with new gear, new destinations, and just new content to share with you. We're looking forward to that. So stay dialed in with Wild and Exposed. You'll get snippets of that through our social media on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube once again, and our, on our website, which continues to have more and more content at wildandexposed.com. Again, the shop is there as well with all the great merchandise. Michael put up a couple of new T-shirts, everybody, a week or so ago. Check those out. Some cool designs there, and they'll continue to evolve with new stuff coming along as well. So, guys, it's been good to see your faces. Jason, brother, glad you're feeling better. Looking forward to hearing stories, getting texts from you guys, and, and getting together on a future podcast soon. Thanks again, everybody. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed Podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way We will be the biggest band in town Mm -mm. Round and round the world we'll go